We're live. Yes. We're live. We are live. We are here. Uh, we're here with Lauren Cashin. She is back for her second time on the Chocolate Croissants podcast. She is the vocalist of the band Sharp Tooth, who has a new record coming out just in a, in, what, like a week, two weeks? Yeah, like a little over a week. Hell yeah. Shit. I, I, have July, <laughs> I have July 10th in my, yeah. on, on my uh, Jordan Goodman stationery that I just got. And uh, oh, I think this might be the most traditional like, uh, thing we've ever done as far as we have a guest right at the time that they uh, are promoting something of value in their artistic lives. So uh, this worked out well. That is perfect. Um, I I wanted to I wanted to say, hey Lauren, I don't I don't I highly doubt you remember, but we we didn't meet, but we made eggs together one morning on the Vans Warp Tour. You were you were uh, I mean it was really early. It was like seven thirty, eight in the morning. I don't even remember. I don't even remember what city it was. I was there because of Band Happy or TEI, the Entertainment Institute, um, and I was like waiting in. I was waiting in line. You were right in front of me making eggs on the little stove, and then like I think there was like a I think it was like a dual stove. And we were like sharing it, and I was like, oh man, this girl's gonna totally think that I'm like trying to hog her space, and she definitely does not want me like breathing on her all, all close to her. <laughs> Oh my God! I felt bad, but then anyway. So then, long story short, it was you. So we uh, we haven't yeah we haven't really talked we haven't talked before, but we shared a a breakfast moment. Moment. Yep. On Warp Tour, no less. On Warp Tour. Pretty great. Yeah. That's crazy. So you guys you guys don't know each other as just being Jews from Baltimore County interested in music. Actually, we don't know. No, Kind of funny. Yeah. I feel like our paths should have crossed before now. And they just like, for whatever reason, haven't. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's straight. Well, they did just. At Warp Tour. At Warp Tour. At, at the Omelette Station. <laughs> I want to say it was yeah. in, uh, I want to say it might have, it was either in, it could have been in California or it could have been in Texas, perhaps. But you were, were you, were you working for a company or an activation there or were you guys actually performing at that point yeah we were on the tour it, this is 2018 uh we were on the we were on the whole thing okay so yeah it yeah. was some random spot and i don't remember where but anyway that's funny i don't either because shit the days like really blur together on <laughs> run oh, so look i think uh referencing warp tour is a nice start because uh, Lauren, you came to my apartment a few years ago, and it was uh, me, Justin, and you having this conversation. Matt, unfortunately, couldn't make it there. And at that point in, in your career uh, with Sharp Tooth, it felt like, at least to me, things were really like starting at a more national, maybe international uh, trajectory for you guys. Uh, you may have even told us that you had secured the full Warp Tour, but I don't know if you were able to publicly announce it yet. I forget. Um, I don't think that we had announced that yet. I, I feel like I remember this. Um, yeah, and like we knew, but it, yeah, it wasn't public yet. So. Right. So, I mean, since the last time that our audience heard you chat with us publicly like this, uh, like things 
changed a lot for your band. You did the full warp tour. <laughs> Justin and I uh, were lucky enough to be able to stop by uh, our local date uh, specifically to watch you perform that set. Oh. And it was <laughs> Thank fucking you. amazing. Your parents were there too. It was great. Yeah, I was there. I to support know. The parents. <laughs> I, uh, frankly, they needed the support probably more than me. So, uh. well, it, it was incredible. I got to like kind of stand and chat with them right after your set as they're watching dozens of people form a line to meet you. Yeah. Like, that must have been a trip that for them. Line, oh, that day was like brutal, too. That was a two hour signing line. And I was dying i was like literally at one point just hiding under the merch table and like our like people are just bringing me food and stuff because i was like i just need a break from talking to fucking 500 teenagers which so, they are my favorite but oh god when you have to do it for for two hours straight you're like i just need to i just need to just sit down <laughs> like have a sandwich or something well, look, yeah. I, it makes sense why that would be the opportune time to have a meet and greet of sorts, uh, given that you had literally just performed. Uh, you are competing with the attention of dozens of other bands. So at no other point throughout the day is there going to be as palpable of an emotional connection uh, with the audience there as right after the performance. Uh, it's an opportune time to take a picture. It's a uh, the time where someone is most willing to perhaps buy, buy an album or a t-shirt or something like that. So I'm curious, yeah. like is as a performer and you are someone you, even if it's 30 minutes, I mean, you like lay it all out there uh, more so than, uh, I mean, I'd put you up there honestly with, with any other musical performer that I've ever seen in my life, quite frankly, as someone who shows up and gives their full energy. Uh, so it, what is that? an opportune time for you or do you feel like it would be more beneficial for you to like decompress right after? Um, I like having a little bit of time to decompress is helpful. Like even if it's like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, when people are excited about the things that you're talking about, uh, Sometimes you have to put like some of your personal comfort like on on hold for a couple minutes, especially with like some of the content that we talk about and like specific like specificity to like young people and vulnerable populations and marginalized people. Um, when when these people are feeling empowered, like that's what, like the best time to be engaging with them and continuing to help be like okay, like you feel like this way about this like. Now we're going to like continue to build on that instead of letting it, yeah, letting it valley. So I feel like yeah, it, it's not always easy, but I feel like it might even be a, a great time where <clears throat> you've just given everything that was in you, uh, you know, for all the messages that you wanted to convey in that set. And now it's mm -hmm. actually a great time for you to just be able to listen to you know, your fan base come really not like give it to you, but like give all the energy that they have in them that's now been you know, riled up from you, now you can listen to them. And maybe there is a little bit of a, a break and correct me if I'm wrong, where they might come up just fired up and ready to go. And you're like, cool, I'm just going to like sit back and listen to you now since, you know, we can reciprocate it this way. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I often have to like remind people, like, like I apologize if I'm like a little less emotive, um, like right after a set, because 
yeah, I literally just screamed for 45 minutes or whatever. Um, so I'm like, you have to bear with me. Like, I got to kind of rebuild a little bit. But yeah, people are, most of the time, they don't care. They're, like, they're just stoked and happy to be there and excited to talk. So yeah, so, they're pretty understanding. So decompression at the end of a set, that's one thing. I'm also curious how you prepare uh, right before a set, just because, uh, I mean, you, you have set a standard for a sharp tooth show as, as I mean, look, uh, for me, uh, your songs are cool. The band is great. Uh, but you are a selling point, uh, uniquely as yourself and, and the energy mm-hmm. that you bring. So I'm curious, like, what do you have a routine? Have there been moments? I'm sure there have been where, uh, for whatever the reasons of circumstances, you just have to like transition like onto the stage and into that role. Um, what have you found that you need most in order to make that transition in a way that feels good for you? It's usually pretty quick um, for me. Like I can I can snap into that um, like pretty pretty quickly. I used to have like a pretty extensive warm up routine. Um, I don't do that extensive of a warm up routine anymore because then it starts to be a little bit counterproductive. Um, but like, just like a couple minutes of just like, just like gentle like vocal vibrations and stuff is usually all I'll do. Um, and basically <laughs> I do a, a, it's a thing that we jokingly say, uh, turn it off, turn it back on again, uh, where I just like will try to, make the sound that like I want to primarily be making. So it like literally will sound like I'm I'm just somewhere like throwing up. <laughs> it's it's like just me making awful noises until I can figure out exactly how the sound I want to make feels. And then I'm like, okay, got I I have my placement. I'm good now. It works. Let's go. Like that's kind of how it is for me nowadays. Um it's a lot less about preparing my voice and doing a whole thing than being like, I've done so much of that work already that for me, it is more productive to go, okay, where is my sound? Okay. Oh, it's here. All right. We got it. Let's go. Um, and then putting it more of that, like muscle power into the actual performance nowadays for me. Vocal vocal so vocal like, warm ups on tour are hilarious. When you're touring with other bands I mean, and you and you get to hear how like the different vocalists do their thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> the weird uh, not to not to stray too far, but I wanted to say the weirdest I've ever heard. Have you heard the Have you heard of the band the, um, the Shining in from Norway? Ever. Um, I've heard the name. The name is familiar. It's like heavy progressive industrial, I guess. But this singer does some of the weirdest shit. His name's Jurgen. He's an awesome guy. Jurgen, that's a good name. Yeah, but when he is doing his warm ups, it. I mean, everybody started following around and making fun of him, and you know, jokingly all together. But everybody's doing it together. So, do you have like, uh, like, do do your bandmates kind of are they used to it now when you do it, or you know? Yeah, I mean, they would give me, like, they would, like, heckle me about, like, the silly noises I, like, would make, too, and stuff. But it was, like, they were pretty gentle about it so that I never got to a point of actually really feeling self-conscious. <laughs> they're very nice in that way. They're, like, Lauren's sensitive. <laughs> Let's not take the piss out of her too hard. Um, but, good. yeah, I, like, 
I, I do like the Melissa Cross like voice warm ups, and I feel like every like almost every vocalist who's ever lived has heard somebody do like the hee hees and the ha ha's and like all those yep. like the, the classic Melissa Cross stuff. So yeah. I I swear by her. She's the best. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's worked with a lot of people. Um, I mean, but obviously, everybody in the freaking rock world either knows her or, her or has worked with her. I remember um, the first time my wife came on the tour bus. It was before before a show. We weren't married yet, and um, we're sitting in the front lounge, and she hears like this high pitched like screaming from the back of the bus, and it's, it sounds like like someone getting murdered um and i she's like looking around like what the hell is that and I, I had to think about it for a second because i'm used to hearing it so much i was like yeah, oh like- oh that's that's just spencer he's in the back warming up and he does the same thing that you do i mean he he does the warm-ups too um but every night he like tries to find his like the barometer of how he's feeling and it's it's crazy like his physical health, his amount of sleep, it changes like where he grabs that tone from per day. And on tour, it's just really hard to be consistent. So I get it. It's virtually impossible to be like consistent. Any amount of consistency that you can find on the road is like a hard one. And like sleep affects me so profoundly that that all just super resonates with me. So I'm curious because you mentioned the consistency. Uh, it might be similar to pro wrestlers. So pro wrestlers who are used to, you know, bumping in the ring uh, week in and week out, uh, they kind of develop a groove. And if they take time off for months at a time, uh, you know, they've many have told me that it, it takes a little bit of time to adjust to that again. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't performed and really screamed much in the past few months after going hard for a couple years. So I'm curious, like, do you feel like this is healthy for your voice right now? Um, and or uh, when you start doing it again, will it be hard to adjust? Um, I'm sure I am pretty sure that there will definitely be a little bit of like a learning curve and like getting back into it. Because, yeah, we haven't played since last year. Um, we haven't played any shows since last year because um, we were gearing up for a record release. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I super, I'm super miss performing. Um, and I like whether that is like with Shark Tooth or like just doing like karaoke and shit like that. Like I, I miss singing a lot. I've had to like, my thing that I'll do sometimes is I'll just like leave the house and go drive around and sing in the car um, so that I can be doing something with my voice. The band has been talking about doing maybe like a remote live thing. So I'm like, Oh shit, I totally have to like start. I feel like I'm going to have to, before that, spend a couple of weeks honing back in on my sound. Um, So it'll be a challenge, but it's the challenge that I think everybody's going through. So I I don't know. I don't have any specific for me feeling. <laughs> I want to piggyback off of uh, Jordan's wrestling comment. There's actually, you know, a term. I'm a big mixed martial arts fan, boxing fan, and a lot of times people talk about ring rust. You know, there's a you've you've been off for say six months or a year. You haven't fought. You haven't had that up. Uh, and in that, 
you might show up and feel like, oh, wait a second, it might take some time for me to get like acclimated or reacclimated to what this actually feels like. That first punch in the face might be the one that kind of wakes you up, right? Uh, there's a there's a wonderful champion fighter. Uh, his name is Dominic Cruz, and and I would definitely say go check him out as you know, we're making this, you know, transition back to whenever we get to that point where shows become a thing, whether it's virtual or, you know, live. Dominic Cruz has spoken at length about this ring rust thing because he's had injury after injury after injury, yet he always tends to come back either as good, if not a, a better version of himself. And he, he's the only one I hear consistently talk about that ring rust is not a real thing, that it's all up here. It's, it's, it's all in the mind. You have to flip that switch. You have to turn it off. You have to have all this positive self-talk. And as soon as you show up, you can kind of gauge your own barometer as we're kind of talking about. And you kind of, you just find your footing and you just go for it. And, and, and if there's like any uh, person I could reference that I think would give, I mean, for, for any of us that are going to go out and potentially perform uh, or hopefully perform sometimes. Or hit people in the face. Or hit people in the face, right, for sure, right? Coming off a long injury, you're going to go hit someone in the face. Dominic mm-hmm. Cruz is, is, is a guy to go look up and listen him talk about this stuff because I think uh, he most eloquently puts all of this into perspective that we, and of course it's going to be potentially different for, for, for different people, right? But I think we can have that, that kind of mental reel going that let, we can get over this stuff if we just believe that it's not going to actually happen. It's all going to be, you know, as, as we knew it before. That's interesting. If you have like a specific yeah, uh, conversation, them. feel free to post it in the Facebook group. Um, Lauren, when you get in the car and you have your own like personal karaoke session, do you have like a go-to song or even like set list for yourself? I've been like, I usually sing at punish. I do have like a, like short list of show tunes that are like my go-tos if I like want to, especially if I want, cause like sometimes you're like having a bad day like feeling crappy, feeling like depressed and isolated and shit because the world is a dumpster fire. And I have the stuff that like I are like my go to is because I know that singing it will make me like feel good about myself and feel confident and um like remind me, Hey, I'm really good at the thing. It's like even though I have, can't really do it right now, I'm I'm still good at it. It makes me happy. Uh, so that's kinda like my go to. I've just been <laughs> recently just like getting in the car and singing the songs like that have just been making me feel good in general. Um, a lot of Kesha recently. Matt too. Uh, her, she, yeah. She yep. just, but uh, she put out a record um, either right at the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019. High road. It's a great record. Anyway, none of, we don't deserve Kesha, frankly. Um, have you seen her not on the Kesha? No, we were supposed to, we had tickets. For May 31st, and uh, that has come and gone, obviously, so that was really upsetting. I heard I heard her production is, is really good. It, was that the tour with Big Frida, or was that a previous tour? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay, it was the tour with Big Frida. Uh, Big Frida's yeah, yeah. awesome. I saw Big Frida at, at the auto bar with, like, 50 people years ago. It was <gasps> so much fun. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so sick. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if potentially uh, the, the comeback tour, the comeback sharp two tour, uh, could there be some inspiration drawn from a Kesha set with like the, the, the glitz and the, the glitter? 
it almost looks like there's like paint uh, everywhere. It's like a mess. Like I feel like. Well, you have know, you seen our music video? I have. Yeah, I'm curious. Though, can we can we bring like the Kesha vibe to the Sharp Tooth vibe live on this next tour? Uh, sure. I feel like I do. I definitely do some of that. Like I. I mean, I have, like, a bit that I do when we play that, like, I will, like, crawl on, like, I'll find whatever fucking bar is in the venue and crawl on it. And, like, I, like, getting over the last, specifically the last year, my goal has to be to make our a sharp tooth set, a metalcore set, as, like, I've been wanting to, like, infuse it with that, like, overly sexual, gritty, like, devil-may-care vibe, like, definitely, like, very Kesha evocative. Um, I do like ridiculous. I like, Oh my God. Like we have like breaks in songs where like, I'll like fucking like twerking <laughs> and like laying on bars and like, just like crawling and stepping on guys' heads and stuff. Uh, yeah. It's like super a vibe. I've been really trying to like, I'm like, okay, how, how far can I push metal core in like that direction? Um, that- I, I like that, and I, I watched your your new video multiple times. I love it, and um, I mean, also just the the no pun intended the content of of the the song, the, the lyrics. Um, it it is very much satire in a sense, where you're having these more, especially for for a really aggressive band like yours, you have these glossy visual aesthetics, um, and obviously referencing other pop music videos. Um, but I, it kind of works too. I like the idea, like unironically, of uh, maybe uh, uh, a pastiche, if you will, of different visual aesthetics uh, uh, blended with uh, such an aggressive energy and like just audio vibe that you guys produce as a live band. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to play within that that hasn't been done, to your point. And that's one of the reasons I'm so into that because one, it's like that energy is so core to who I am as a person. And in relation to that, I have felt compelled to and pressured to uh, like minimize that my expression of that energy or mitigate that um, because it's like, I mean, the fucking hardcore metalcore scene are like the most aggressively masculine like places in music, I think. Um, and it makes people really uncomfortable when you come into that space and behave in a way that is almost performatively like sexual or feminine. Like it, it really, it challenges people and that's kind of what I, we're all about. Well, you have a, you have a unique opportunity to do it. You definitely have a, yeah. I mean, being a female fronted band like this in this scene, you have a unique opportunity to change minds in that regard and to challenge what, because you're right. Like that scene is pretty aggressive for lack of better terminology. Um, so very bro-y, like just like that, like boys club type of vibe. And I, I yeah. mean, I felt for a long time and not even necessarily Consciously, but occasionally consciously, definitely subconsciously, that, like, if I um, expressed more feminine, if I 
uh, work clothes that were like that would like lend to be like more sexual that I wouldn't be taken seriously. Um, so I like didn't. I had like a uniform for a really long time. I like literally only would wear black tank top, black jeans, black boots to show literally nothing else. Um, I remember I got like a reaction from a venue owner when I wore like leggings for the first time at a show. He made, he like made a comment <laughs> about like how I'm like, I looked basically like too sexy. Um, like, and it's like, they're just fucking leggings. <laughs> Really and this was like yeah. four, like three or four years ago. Like that's like this is a common thing. Um, it's so insidious, but it's like subtle too. It's not like people are like coming up to you if you're wearing like something that is like pink on it and being like, oh, like I don't know, saying like homophobic shit. It's not that kind of toxic masculinity. It's a lot more subtle now, um, which makes it a lot easier, for, I think, for a lot of people to ignore or pretend that it's not an issue. Um, which I think is what a lot of people do. That's kind of the problem we're dealing with right now in the world. Yeah, um, I could, I, I could see uh, some ignorant people even trying to call you out for being hypocritical, thinking, "Oh, Lauren is this like pro-feminist uh, artist, uh, and now she's like sexualizing or objectifying like her physicality," um, when in fact, uh, you know, <laughs> you could just be fucking claiming it as your own. Exactly. And that's like, that is kind of my point. I think that I'm pretty sure that if you're somebody who like equates like feminism with needing to, I don't know, with like needing to present butch or something or like there, I've definitely had like seen some criticism of people who, who claim like to be feminist but then present super feminine, um, which seems counterintuitive to me. <laughs> but there's that, like, oh, there's kind of, like, some old stereotypes that people still kind of lean into that, like, oh, the feminists are just like that. They're like the crude, crotchety lesbians. Like, nah, like, those are, those are the feminists. <laughs> and it's not, like, it's not a fucking thing. <laughs> do, you, do you feel some sense of responsibility? Um, not that, it's, that it is your responsibility, but given... Uh, that there are so few women in the position you're in, do you feel this sense maybe just from others or even internally from yourself that you just are now representative of all women in uh, an aggressive genre of music? Um, I, I never, ever want to say that I, like, represent everybody, I, which is why, like, my broken record soapbox of mine is... Now we need more representation. We need more representation because I can't, I literally can't speak for all women because not all women are like me. We're all like super different and unique. That would be like, I don't know, like going, like just reaching into a hat and pulling out a name of a band that's all men and being like, they speak for all men. And it's like, no. And I understand that it's different because I'm being a little bit more intentional. Um, in the content that we're writing and in that we are very like outwardly trying to make a like diverse space and that that's kind of like the point of a lot of things that we say and do. Um, but yeah, I would never ever claim to speak for all women, nor do I want to. I just want more 
I just want more people playing heavy music so that like everybody feels like they have their like people to look up to. I also don't ever want people to just be like, that's it. There's the one, there's the one band with a woman in it that I listen to. Like, fuck that shit. Like, no, I don't ever want to be that. If anything, I just want to be somebody's gateway band into heavy music. Um, I think that that's probably, and like, there's a lot of like, I don't know. Uh, there's a little bit of scoffing that people do at being considered a quote unquote gateway band. But I think that's the biggest compliment that you could do is that you were able to like convince somebody who normally wouldn't have listened to this type of music that you're worth listening to. <laughs> like that's so cool. Right. And then you'll always be remembered as the band that got them into a genre. I mean, that's actually a, yeah. a very serious badge of honor to wear in terms of exposing people to a yeah. style uh, of any style, you know, like think about even just other, other, you know, uh, creative outlets. Like what was your first pair of shoes? I don't, you know, like you'll always remember like the shit like yeah. that. Yeah. Which is good. And I was going to, I just wanted to say too, I mean, as you shouldn't have to represent every, uh, you know, woman in a band out there in heavy music, you should be doing, yeah. you should be doing, what you feel is right for the content that you're writing and then also for how you want to present yourself. But you know, what I liked about what you said was too, it's like you were suppressing something that you were naturally and you're kind of done with that. And if there's ever a time to be done with that, it's now why, you know, like why, Mm -hmm. who gives a fuck, you know? And you know, it's interesting too. I mean, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I think the more authentic you are in that regard, the more you're going to separate yourself from the pack in a good way. And over the next two years, as we see how this industry unfolds, um, there's going to be, I think, more competition in some ways for like everybody wanting to get back out there. Who's going to accept the bids from the promoters? Who's going to be able to get on the tours? What bands want to take other bands out? And I think there's something to be said for having an edge that is also authentic and you should absolutely ride that wave as, as much as you can, not only for yourself, but I also think to really create more uh, eyes and buzz about the band. I don't know if you thought yeah, about it that way, but I don't know. It's funny because I do like the more, uh, <laughs> I, I guess the best way to explain it is that every time I open up a little bit more and I put a little bit more of those things that I had repressed, like into my daily expression, into my stage performance, into like the content of the songs that I'm writing about. Uh, the feedback is always extremely overwhelmingly positive. So like, I've really only had like motivation. You'll get like weird comments, like obviously like, for example, like about like the guy who like had something to say about the fact that I was like wearing leggings or whatever. You're always going to get people who are going to say stuff like that. Um, But at the end of the day, like, how many of those people are there versus how many of the people who look at something you're doing and go, Oh, I identify with this. Oh, like this is for me. Oh, they're talking about like things that matter to me, that kind of stuff. Um, 
So yes, that's like proven very successful for me. I haven't really thought about it in those exact terms, but like in you saying that, I'm like, yeah, that's like totally checked out. That makes so much sense for everything that's like happened, especially in the last like two years. But if if you think about, sorry, Matt, if if you think about uh, us as artists when we were younger, uh, it's usually those quote gateway bands those are the ones that we emulate at first when we're trying to find our point of view and, and our uh, tone or voice or whatever uh, you know word you want to use. Um, and a lot of people that are creative never really get past that point. You, you often just take from your influences and maybe slightly riff off that. Um, but I think the work of any creative, the work of any artist, whether you're writing songs uh, or writing poetry or painting pictures is that like continuously like chisel out your truth. And the more you do it with intention, the more honest and truthful your expression becomes. Uh, And I think the greatest artists of our times, the most enduring artists of our times, uh, whether it's music um, or people who speak publicly are the ones that, uh, you know, you think of them and, and you, you, you can like hear them or you could see the work or you could see, you know, it's like because it's so uniquely them. And not only as artists, I think that's just the point of all human beings is to continuously keep carving out uh, your own truth, which evolves and changes over time. But at least for me, the North Star is how do I get closer to being more honest with myself so I can be more honest with the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm here for all of that. <laughs> it's, I think that was why, like, um, at least with this record, like, this was just some of the most, like, gut level, like, having to get, like, super honest with myself writing that I've ever done. And that was extremely challenging. So, I'm curious with it. I'm curious with the new record coming out. Uh, the content of the new record, how much of the content do you have these maybe larger conversations with the whole band involved as you're coming up with content for this? Not a ton. I'm pretty fortunate in that um, the rest of the band pretty much just, like, trusts me with, like, the writing. Um, They're like, it's going to be kick-ass and it's going to be cooler than anything we came up with. (laughs) So that's, like... They trust me with that. Just, like, I trust them with, like, coming up with, a, like, really gnarly, like, riffs, like, and so it, it works out. Um, there will be times, like, especially, like, I'll get excited about, like, a song. And I even remember, I remember when I first came up with, uh, like, some of the lyrics for Say Nothing, and I got so excited about it. And so I was, like, showing the band and stuff, and they were getting excited about it, too. Um I think the fact that we have so many people in the band, um, like who, I mean, everybody in this band cares so much about like our purpose and like about our potential as not only musicians, but as activists, um, in our position. So like, they're pretty like on board with literally anything that I would say. We're all very ideologically similar. if not the same. (laughs) So, uh, what what's your mindset going into the release of an album in which you can't tour, and especially for a band like you guys? I mean, touring is the the lifeblood of momentum, you know, connecting to your fans and and 
and you know keeping the energy sustained um supporting recorded music um is this something that you guys are continually talking about and iterating like what between yourselves or, or the label or your representation or uh are you just letting the process play itself out like where's your head with that well, so originally we were slated for a May release and then we ended up pushing it back to July because we were like, well, every the world's going to hell. May's probably not going to be a thing. Maybe it'll be back open in July. We had a tour book and we'd waited a really long time for the right tour. We gotten other offers that I was like, this is not conducive to who this band is and our message and our fan base. And I, I, I will no longer do tours that are not like on brand for us. I'm not going out with bands that don't give a shit. I'm I'm not going out on tours where I'm the only fucking woman in any of the bands. I'm not doing any of that anymore. I did that for a while to because I thought that was the right thing to do and to like be open minded. No, I'm done being open minded. <laughs> um uh, we're we're going out with people who mirror our our content and our values, and that's that. And I'm not discussing it with people anymore. <laughs> so it was really frustrating because we were like, fine, we waited forever. I mean, we finished this record back like last March. Um, so uh, so we waited forever to be to find the right thing. And then we were like, cool, we have to wait a year and a half, but we're going to put it out on the, the right tour. And now that's obviously not happening anymore because it is July and uh, we're all music venues are so not a thing right now. Um, so I don't know what my mindset is. I'm, I'm trying not to have any expectations, frankly, um, which sucks and like feels super anticlimactic for a thing that I put that much work into. Um, but like, what am I going to do? I, I can get upset about it and I have gotten upset about it, but for me, putting mental energy into those upset feelings isn't productive. So I'm basically just trying to, to like use this time to kind of organize my life in a way that like when I am able to start touring again, it will be easier, better for me. Um, I'm working on getting a job in like programming so that like when I am on the road I will get to still be working and stuff like that so it's like it's a balance of trying to not think about it too much and then just trying to focus on everything else um and I'm yeah I'm just trying not to put too much like weight on it and I think people will like it and that's that's what more can I ask for like I'd never expected to be putting out anything on like on like a record label anyway. So anything <laughs> I do get to do is kind of a bonus. <laughs> like, are you guys self-releasing this one, or or is no, it coming no, out no, on no, a no. label? Yeah, it's on it's on Pure Noise. We're signed to Pure Noise. Okay. Um, so, uh, like, so like the fact that I'm even getting to do that is is cool. Yeah. So at the end of the day. It's fine. It's whatever. Of course, so, it's not ideal, but I have no control over any of this anymore. So, exactly. Well, and so that uh, my question that I had was um, kind of what what have you been doing with your time currently? You sort of answered that by getting into programming, 
which is cool. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's something you've been doing for a while or if that's a new thing, but how have you sort of adapted schedule-wise, day-to-day basis in terms of work, in terms of, you know, just what you're doing, you know, from, from the time you wake up and go to sleep, how, how have you sort of had to look at this whole situation and say, okay, here's a new norm. This is what I'm doing. Um, it's been really challenging because, like, I, ha- I just moved to Boston about a year ago, and we've toured a lot in that year, so I haven't been, like, really looking for, like, work in the city. So my, I, my background is in zoology, and I've been basically looking for zoo jobs here. The zoo industry is the most competitive industry in the universe, basically. Um, because everyone wants to play with animals and, uh, nobody wants to pay you to do that. (laughs) So finding jobs in in my industry is extremely hard. Um, and I was basically just kind of like submitting applications to like zoos and stuff when all of this started happening. Um, and like my day-to-day job, I built up like actually a really good like dog training and like dog walking business and like really awesome clients. And it was like getting super lucrative and I was having a ton of fun with it. And I was like, like, you know, if I don't find a a zoo thing, this is fine for right now. But then COVID happened and going to people's houses and touching their things is not a good idea. So um, also was just flat out not allowed for a long time. So there went that, which was really disappointing. Um, Cause I was, I really loved, like getting up and going to see all my dogs every day. Like that was just awesome. Um, so I had been doing programming, um, like very much like as a casual hobby. Um, I have like a circuit board called like a circuit playground that like I would program to do like little things. And like my boyfriend does a lot of programming work for his art. And I have a lot of friends who work in programming and like coding and development. So, I'm very adjacent to that world. And when all of this happened, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to like take a class on Python, which is a coding language and like, see, if, like, you know, I have nothing to do anymore right now. So let's try that. And I took the class and I got a 99% and was like, Oh, this is great. I love this. And I'm kind of good at it. Um, maybe I could like actually make money doing this thing. So I hit up my friend Kayla who programs robots and teaches them to recognize objects. And uh, she was like, there's this coding school in Boston, um, really good reputation. Uh, They're called Launch Academy. She was like, you should look into it. And I applied and interviewed and got in. So I actually just started, yeah, yeah, I started classes um, like two weeks ago. And by the end of November, I like by the end of the year, I will have graduated and should hopefully have a job. It's like a very intensive, very fast-paced like program. That's really um, badass. And is it mainly focused on? Yeah. Like, is it robotics or is it an? Is it a different? Just a, the like, what language is it, or, or what? What's the focus of it? I should say. Um. So right now, basically, the school, the way the school works is their curriculum actually changes every semester. Um. I think they do like three or four semesters a year. Um, but basically they reach out to all of the local tech companies in Boston, the huge tech city. And they go, Hey, um, so what are you looking for in your entry level programmers that you're going to need for the coming year? 
and they changed their curriculum to meet the needs of all of the local tech companies so that they literally then just take you and farm you out to them, which is great because it's like you immediately have a job. So it varies from every semester. Right now, we're working. I'm working in JavaScript, and I know that we're supposed to be working in Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. Um, from my understanding, they are all what's known as object-oriented programming languages. Um, so it's you, you're telling a thing to do a thing or putting things in things, like that kind of stuff. Um, and JavaScript is a lot of like web-based applications, so um, like app development, website development. Um, I'm really into like data analytics and statistics, like statistical analysis um, to like extrapolate from that things about like human behavior. Super into that, so I'm hoping at some point to be able to land somewhere in that kind of field. Um, like data mining is really, really interesting to me. Um, I'm sure that people have like opinions about that, but uh, I think it's really cool the things that you can learn just about human behavior because that's a that is a deep, deep interest of mine is human behavior and psychology. So I was really uh, oh sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I was just saying that, like, anything where I'm getting to interface with people and getting to do the fun problem-solving parts of, like, coding, as long as I'm getting to do that, I'm happy. So. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it's like, uh, I remember listening to a podcast about Stitch Fix, the company, and they were talking about how, you know, they, they have obviously some clothing designers and people that pick different brands to use, but the majority of their hires, and it's like, hundreds of people, it's all data analysts that study the the behaviors of people and what clothing they choose and for different sizes and different shapes and male or female and different ages. And they, they're, it's like just constant algorithmic data that is helping them mm-hmm. hone how to pick clothing to send to one person and all the people on a month-to-month basis. Um, and it's, it was just interesting to hear, like that, like you know, how much of their funding and how much of their budget goes towards h- those kinds of hires, and it makes sense, obviously. And I think it's yeah. a, it's the key to it's the key to you know understanding metrics of your business and where it's going is awesome. And my mind doesn't work that way per se, but those are the people that literally make all the difference in whether a business succeeds and and ultimately whether the consumer is happy in that sense too. But it sounds like the, the the program you're in is like almost like an incubator for individuals as opposed to what might traditionally be like for companies, you know, like how a young startup can can get to this incubator and they can network with others and then they can find clients or grow their office or whatever it may be. It sounds like that is exactly what the program you're in uh, now, but it's for people that are trying to do this individually. It's really cool too the way that they do it because the first part is it's like pretty pretty relaxed pace that's what we're at right now and it's all online and they release like a little bit of new content every day and you work on it and then July we go to like part time online classes as opposed to like you get you just get an assignment um, or whatever so it's like twenty five hours a week part time classes until the end of the summer and then in September it starts like full-time intensive uh, immersive like 
you go to their facility every single day. Um, and it's about 70 hours a week, 70 to 80. Um, it is hardcore. They're like, it is not like, this is not a relaxed pace thing. This is designed to like put together some, like a web developer or, or a program developer like in three months <laughs> so that you can then just go into a work environment and be able to assimilate. Um, so yeah. Um, I'm terrified. <laughs> well, I'm really excited for you, Lauren, uh, for a few reasons, but I, I want to share one. And I think uh, you'd be a great example for uh, people watching or listening to this. And it's something that I've talked about in the past. Look, I can imagine that when uh, you have your first interview uh, with the company or uh, whomever it is uh, for this type of work, and they start asking, like, Yo, look, tell us about your life. And for you to say, like, I have this education and work experience, um, like, with reptiles and engaging the public through education and, and things like that with, with, with reptiles. And, by the way, I've done, like, the whole Warp Tour and just put out, like, my <laughs> last record on this record label. Like, no one can match. <laughs> and that's I, just, okay. Like, just to finish, that says so much about your personality. Um because most people have linear roots in life where it's, you, you, you finish grade school and then you get the degree in whatever it may be. And that's kind of the trajectory. Um, you know, I, I think most people would be a fool not to see the unique value in someone like you who has this not only entrepreneurial journey in different respects, but this, create, you know, this, this journey of creativity uh, and, and commerce, the mix of that. Um, you think differently than most, like quote unquote, analytical people do because you are creative and you know are a creative uh, as a profession for many years now. Um, and you've just you've traveled. You learned what it's like to work with different people every day in different environments. Um, to me, you just seem so well rounded uh, relative to the the next ten people in line on paper that. I'm very curious to see what this next step will be like for you, um, given uh, who you present as, as a yeah. potential applicant. Thank you. Yeah, I I have a running joke because, like, obviously, like, I moved to Boston about a year ago, so I've met a lot of new people and stuff. And uh, I'm just kind of at the point where, like, people will be like, oh, like, who are you? What do you do? And I'm like, okay, I sound made up. Um, but I am an ex-opera singer who, sc who screams in a metalcore band and who trains crocodiles, and now I'm learning programming. <laughs> like, I'm like, I sound fucking made up. Um, but I just, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> so, it would be so yeah. badass if you could train a, do a dog and a crocodile to be best friends. What? Just thinking. I think if you start young, I think that you totally could, actually. Yeah. Um, it's, it I would, think you it, totally could. It'd be it such an interesting experience. As long as I, I would, I would think that you would have to keep, well, both of them, depending on the breed of dog, you'd probably have to keep them both very well fed in order for that to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, give them, like, motivation that are more motivating than either of the other one is to the other one. Yeah, that would be right. really challenging. That would be interesting, though. Um, I see the wheels turning. I mean, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, like I have, I have a Savannah monitor, um, Minnie, Vinny, who's a big lizard. Um, and he like behaves in ways that are very strange for a large carnivorous lizard. Um, so like he doesn't understand that he could bite me. He does not understand that. And I piss him off. I make that lizard really fucking mad. Um, cause he's bad at shedding. So I'll have to help him and he hates it. Um, but he's never, he's never tried to bite anybody defensively. He's never tried to tail with defensively, which is what they normally would do. Um, and I think that's because he was just handled a lot when he was young. And I bet if you did that with a gator, you might be able to get him to a similar point because he can be around dogs and he doesn't care. Um, he can bend a beer on a lot of things, and he doesn't care or see them as food. Um, so, and then there's things that he does see as food that are not, like my flip flops. For some reason, he's really into attacking those, and they have little bite marks all around the edge now. But I bet you could totally do it. I wonder if you he had was- like if if the dog was more of like the, you know, I don't know, like the 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 parent of sorts, like raising. <laughs> right, it would be like that kind of relationship where it's like, oh no, I have this like kinship where I love it so much that like I can't eat it. Well, the problem with that is that reptiles generally don't have parental care, so that wouldn't be a thing you could like sub in a different animal for mm. because they don't have that at all. Um, there's some species of frogs that are actually great parents, um, but that's a little bit different than a crocodile. And crocodiles actually are really good parents too. You know what? Mm, but then you have to train. So, like, so like crocodile moms or gator moms will carry their babies around in their mouth. So I'm like, okay, so what if you train your dog to very gently cart around a tiny alligator? Maybe if you were able to start there, um, then you might be onto something, actually. I'll keep my wheels turning. I literally, I don't think it's impossible, and therefore it is fun thinking about. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's been uh, experimented with in some part of the world. I mean, I would imagine there's got to be a place, a reserve, or uh, you know, uh, just somewhere where there's dogs always chilling around, and the <laughs> the reptiles are used to it, and it's not they don't yeah. look at them as dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that. That is a thing that has to exist. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But intentionally, with the purpose of the experiment of like for life, for the well, for the duration of the dog's life, uh, in particular, since they live much, you know, le- much less time on this earth, um, <laughs> there's no rifts, there's no friction between the two species. That would be really interesting to see. But anyway, well, if all else kind of fails, I'd be interested if you took in all these animals and had your own zoo show at your house so i'm just throwing that out there like you know last resort i think you'd be a wonderful host how did 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 you watch tiger king no i didn't i mean i'm not i don't watch anything to be fair Fair i don't anything um so that wasn't an unusual thing to not watch um but also i just like as a as a person who's worked in zoos and aquariums, I get really stressed out anytime a piece of media gets put out that portrays a quote unquote zoo, even though this place like Hella does not fucking qualify as an actual zoo. Anytime a zoo is being portrayed in a way that is like 
less than the level of excellence that I'm used to in like zoo and aquarium environments. And that gets really frustrating for me because like, there's so this like public eye, like idea that like, Oh, zoos are evil and bad, bad, bad. And it's like, uh, no actual legitimate ones are incredible and do amazing things for conservation and keeping endangered species from falling off the face of the earth and educating the public. Um, and also have really stringent care, like requirements that like, and get inspected all the time. And so those zoos are, and places are usually that you can, you know, because they're called, they're AZA accredited, which is the association of zoos and aquariums. So they're not AZA accredited. Um, they are not subject to that kind of scrutiny. Um, yeah. So then you end up with place with Tiger King places. Um, yeah, it's, so, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that was just it stressed me out so much because I was like, oh no, or isn't that is this going to turn into the next wave of like abolish zoos? It's like no, zoos aren't like they're not like that. I swear, guys, it's not fucking like that. Yeah, well, um, that's that's why I asked. That, that, that's why I was asking. I was curious if, if it affected you in that way, being um, a, you know, a champion of the proper facilities versus mm-hmm. the kinds of things you're seeing in these shows. Yeah, I was just curious. How, but I think you answered my question without even needing to watch it. It's pretty obvious, you know, the the, the vast difference between the two types of institutions. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, and like, this is something I try to impress upon people. Like the zoo and aquarium industry is so impossibly competitive that like the people who are getting to work at AZA institutions are like, it is the best of the best. You're not getting people who are just coming in just to want to like mess around with the, the tigers or some shit. Like you get people like we treat the animals like they're our children. Right. Um, and like our responsibility and it's like you want to want to give them the best lives possible and that's one of the reasons i'm pretty comfortable working specifically like with reptiles because like bar none captive reptiles have longer lifespan things than wild ones like period that's not negotiable that isn't always the case with some mammal species there's a lot of that do do better in the wild but at the very least with reptiles and amphibians and invertebrates um they have better lives in captivity. They just do. That's not to say take them out of the wild because don't do that. They need to stay there. And virtually all animals that you see in zoos are captive bred. Um, no one's going out and like taking, picking up a tiger to bring it to the central park zoo or some shit. That's not a thing. All of these are captive bred programs. Um, but like, yeah, those are your kids. (laughs) Like those are your babies. As it should be. Yeah. Look, I can confidently uh, say or, or even declare, Lauren, that within the <laughs> chocolate croissants community, uh, you are our animal and reptile expert within this community. <laughs> so, um, I'm honored. honored. Yeah, uh, there's, no, there's no one else like I, I would like rather ask their opinion on something like Tiger King, to be honest. Like, you're the perfect guest <laughs> Um, so, so to be mindful of time, we have just a couple of minutes. Um, Lauren, you have a record coming out July 10th. It's called Transitional Forms. Uh, the band is Sharptooth. Um, let me ask you, can you sum up the, the spirit or the energy of this record, the, the, the message of this record 
in a couple words. Like if, if you want uh, anyone to experience it and, and take a few things away from it, um, what what seems most uh, articulate for you? Um, I think that the two words that probably sum this record up are uh, that it is a call for empathy and it is a... a <laughs> implores the audience to embrace nuance and embrace like the gray areas and everything. I feel like we live in a world where people want to make everything black and white and it never is. It just literally never is. And I think until people get a little bit more comfortable with that, we're going to continue to have a lot of the problems that we've like had in our communities for years and years and years. Um, so that's, I feel like what the record is really about. And um, embracing whatever unconventional or conventional methods you need to get right with your head. Um, so yeah, it is a, it is a mental health journey and an empathy journey. So awesome. That's, that's how I feel about the record. Well, much respect for you championing those things. Um, look, you, you see or hear the word empathy more often in, in the, in the culture, which is a wonderful thing. But I love that you're bringing up this idea of, of nuance. Uh, I think much of our thinking is uh, black or white or all or nothing. And um, it, that's, it's, it's lazy. It's just fucking lazy. It's, it's, yeah. at, at worst, it's destructive and harmful, um, but, but it's also just lazy. Um, I think critical thinking, critical analysis um, is, is so important. And to understand that... Uh, there's nuance to most things uh, that's so important. And in order to, I think, develop that skill, you need to have empathy so you can understand various perspectives um, a bit more objectively um, from your own subjective point of view. Um, yeah. I think, J Justin, you're good? Do you have anything you want to say? Sure. I'll quickly say that uh, we, we one day we came home, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, we found a tortoise in, the, in our front yeah. yard. And, and, you know, I had to like really sit back and think, and I was like, well, I mean, I only know one herpetologist. So I remember when you, when you texted, you called me, you were like, what? right. So, so I, I, I did what anybody would do. Right. I called like the local wildlife authority, some who didn't answer the phone. And I kind of, you know, in a two second Google search realized that like, well, no one's probably going to come help the tortoise in the front yard. Right. Uh, like a children's book. Uh, so I took it upon myself. I called my my favorite herpetologist, uh, Miss Lark, over here. Uh, I was uh, instructed to give it wild uh, leafy greens, you know. And luckily, those power greens in the the fridge paid off. And uh, we we put her in a nice box with uh, with some greens and some water. And uh, the, uh, the the worlds came together on Facebook. Shout out to Facebook, uh, where someone then came who had like a tortoise. Reserve or I don't know, like a, like a whole oh, tortoise land in their house. Good. Yeah, so <laughs> this guy came so over, fair. picked her up, told me it was a, a female. That was wonderful, you know. And 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 she lived. And I see pictures now uh, where she's like with all these other tortoises, uh, you know, during the winter time in the basement doing her thing with all like the proper necessities, and then outside with water so and pure. ponds and whatever. So yeah, so. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing. Like, there, a lot of people would 
go like be in that situation and go, not my problem, which I think is a, one of the biggest problems with people is that if like another living being needs help, it is, it should be your problem because like, that's just how life works. Yeah. More empathy. Yeah. I more felt empathy for others and for, and for everything that exists. Yeah. Um, yes. We are all connected truly, even if we can't see it or touch it. Um, uh, look, it took us a little while to make this happen. I'm so glad we did. Um, Lauren, I'm glad that you and Matt were able to connect in this way as well. Um, yeah. And, we did uh, yeah, and I'm super excited for this record to come out, um, amongst all the other things that you have going on amidst a global pandemic. Um, so I thank you, Lauren. It. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. This was really fun. It was really great talking to you all. Hell yeah. Um, if you're listening, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants, meet us there. Uh, you can watch this if you're listening to it on your podcast app on youtube.com slash chocolate croissants. Uh, Lauren is the vocalist of Sharp Tooth. Her album Transitional Forms comes out July 10th. Uh, it's July 1st when we're having this conversation, so it may even be out by now. Um, my name is Jordan Goodman. On July 1st, 2020, I'm just so grateful that Beavis and Butthead is coming back. Um, and with that, I want to say, be kind to yourself and listen to these bells, listen to this cowbell, and listen to these actual cowbells. <laughs> and then I'm going to say, oh, bye-bye.